listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew 27 or your ESV app or your whatever that you brought, and or you can just follow along on the screen. We are two chapters away from completing this, this great gospel of Matthew that we started 16 years ago. Um, I read an article this week uh, about names that are dying out in the USA. It was very interesting. Nine of 10 of them were, were female names, names like Ethel and Edna. And I was like, ah, I understand why names are dying out. But in 1940s, these names were all in the top 10 and now they're gone, right? And sometimes names just, you know, we don't, we let them go because different generations. Uh, sometimes uh, we, 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 we choose our names. And for those of you who had children, you probably had this discussion when you were like, okay, what are we gonna name our child? Maybe you got the baby book name. Maybe you Googled it. Maybe there's a family name. But there's always that conversation, okay? You, you have this list of names and then there's one name in your list. You're like, no, I, I can't, we can't name our kid Hank because I knew this Hank back in high school and he was a creeper. And so we can't name, we, so we cross Hank off the list because it's guilty by association. And, and, and you know, Hank's a great name. Hank Williams Jr., Hank Williams Sr. It's a great name for anyone looking for a name. But uh, Hank Aaron, okay. But there's always this guilty by association piece, which is why you don't see in our culture, you don't see a lot of little babies growing up. What's your name? Oh, my name's Adolf. You don't see it. Because of the wickedness of what Adolf Hitler did. And so there's this association with that name that you're like, we shun away from it. We're we're gonna see three names that that scripture is gonna point us to today. Three individuals. They got great names, actually. One name means praise. It's a good name. One name means armed with a javelin. It's a great guy name. One name means son of the father. Great name. But because of their association with what's going on in this chapter, you're not gonna find one of these names. No one's gonna name their kids this name. Why? Because of what they did. And, and, and no one in this room is named after one of these guys, but here's the reality. Here's what I want us to see today. Even though that may not be our name, sometimes we're guilty of what brought them infamy. These names are infamous. And if we're honest, we may not be named that, but we, we have a tendency towards two of them to do the same thing. And towards one of them, what I want us to see today is we are this person whether we want to acknowledge it or not. So we're going to look through this text. The text is pointing us to these three individuals. And so we're going to talk about them. And ultimately what I want to do is I want to learn from them. That's why the scripture is given to us, right? God gave us the scripture so that we can learn. And so the mistakes that they made, we don't do. And so the things they did are good, we do do. That's, that's what God does for us in his word. So we want to learn from these guys as we unpack chapter 27, verses one through 31. And if you remember where we're at, where we picked up, Jesus has been betrayed, Jesus has been left, abandoned. All the disciples are gone, ABC, they're out. And now he's been standing for the high priest and, and all these other Sanhedrin members and they're judging him and mocking him and beating him uh, and it's just beginning. And we find ourselves on Friday morning, the morning that he will be crucified. So let's jump in verse one. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So they already have their verdict. But the problem is they have no authority to actually kill anybody, right? Even though they tried earlier, if you read the Gospel of John, John chapter eight, chapter 10, 
Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I and the father are one. And they pick up stones to kill him, but it's not his time. So he miraculously kind of walks through the crowd or disappears. But we saw the scripture said that Jesus must be crucified, that Rome would be in charge. So even though they want to kill him, there's too many people in Jerusalem this day. Rome's paying way too much attention. They don't want to cause a riot. So they take him to Pilate, the governor. And, and at that moment, we kind of snapshot back. Matthew's going to leave that picture and he's going to point us into our first person, our first name that we're going to look at today. One whose name means praise. It's a great name. But I can promise you this, you've never met one person who's named this, right? Whose name is Judas. No one names their son Judas. But here's the irony here. The name Judas is just the Greek name for the Hebrew name Judah. Do you think there was any Hebrew children that were raised named Judah? Absolutely. In fact, we have a couple of them in the apostles. We have one of Jesus's half-brothers is named this. Right? It's, a, it's a great name, but because of what Judas did, now if you Google the name, what does the name Judas mean? You know what you're going to see? It means traitor. It's not what it actually means. It means praise. But because of what he's done, Google has actually changed his name because of what he did. Right? And so here's Judas, his betrayer. He saw that Jesus was condemned and he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See it to yourself. So it says he changed his mind. This is not the, the Greek word for repentance. It's a different word. It's a word that means he had remorse. There was regret. He felt sorry, right? And so he takes the couple hundred dollars, basically, that's what 30 pieces of silver worth, and he takes it back to the chief priest and said, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Here's your money back, right? I've betrayed innocent blood. Right? This, I, it was a bad deal. I've changed my mind. I'm returning, you know, the, I'm returning it. But here's, here's the problem. And here, here's what they say. These great spiritual leaders, these priests, these high priests, they say, what is that to us? See to that yourself. They're, what they're basically saying is, we don't care. That's your deal, right? That's your problem. In fact, the New Living Translation, I like it. It actually says, that's your problem. That's your problem, dude. Sorry. Sale, all sales are final. You deal with that yourself. And so he does. Throwing the pieces of silver into the temple, he departs and he went and he hung himself. And actually the book of Acts give us, gives us a complete picture. Book of Acts chapter one says that he, he fell headlong and his kind of gut spilled out. And so what happened apparently is that he hangs himself and he either hangs himself and dies and his body falls or in his ineptitude to hang himself he hangs himself, the, the limb breaks, and he falls and his guts spill out. But we have the full version with, with both Matthew's gospel and the, the account in the book of Acts. It's not a contradiction, it's a compliment. It shows you the whole story. But he went and he killed himself. And then because he did, the chief priests, they took the silver and they said, it is not lawful to put this in the treasury. Think of the irony there. They just condemned an innocent man. They've done all these illegal things and they're worried about what's legal. We can't take the money and put it in the tithing box. So what are we gonna do? They went and bought the potter's field. They went and bought a piece of land so that they could bury the Gentiles who died in Jerusalem in that day. And to that day, when Matthew wrote his gospel several years later, it was still called the field of blood. It was a graveyard for Gentiles who died in Jerusalem. But this was all fulfillment of what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah and specifically Zechariah. 
when he said, they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Again, what Matthew is just showing you is this is all according to the plan. This is all what God had said in the Old Testament. All these prophecies pointing to this. But what's the point? Why does he bring Judas back up? I mean, what can we, what do we learn from Judas? What, what do I need to learn from Judas? Because I think our, our tendency to be like, I would never be like Judas, which is, if you're saying that, to him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall, right? Because Peter never thought that he would be Judas and Peter was Judas. But what is, what is the lesson of Judas besides don't betray Jesus from this passage? Here, here's what he teaches us. Judas is a model of how not to deal with your sin. How not to deal with the guilt and shame of sin. The, the juxtaposition of the text is on purpose. What did Matthew just talk about right before this passage? Peter and his denial, right? And then he compares and contrasts Judas and how he handles this deal. And it's on purpose. There's actually a lot of similarities between Judas and Peter in the Bible, a lot. Both of them betrayed Jesus. Both of them denied him in, in a certain way. Both of them felt really bad about it. Both of them ended up dying on a tree. Peter was crucified. Judas hangs himself. A lot of similarities. Both of them are called Satan, the devil, by Jesus. But there's one big difference. One of them is remorseful. And one of them is repentant. That's a huge, huge difference. How does Judas deal with his sin? How does he deal with the shame and the guilt? He tries to fix it doesn't he? He goes back and, here, 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 I'll just return the money and it'll make it right. I'll just return it and I'll tell them that I was wrong and that'll fix it. That'll undo it. That'll cover it up, right? But the problem is he can't undo it. He can't undo what he has done. And it's significant that the chief priests say, you deal with that yourself. That's on you. And that is a true statement. If you try to manage your own sin, deal with your own sin, cover your own sin, fix it yourself, it is on you. It's all on you, right? Because you cannot undo what you have done. And you know, this is right, right, right out of Satan's playbook. Satan is real, demons are real, and what they do is they tempt you and they lure you and they try to draw you away from what is good and the moment you do, they flip and then they start accusing you. That's why Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. So he tempts you, this is good, don't listen to God. And once you fell, boom, now he's on the other side saying, I can't believe you would do that. I cannot believe you call yourself, you're going to that church this morning, you're doing that and you did this? That's what he does. He is a master of it and that's what he did to, to Judas. He tempts him to betray and as soon as he does, he feels the guilt and he feels the shame and what does he do? He tries to fix it on his own and because he can't, in despair he takes his own life. And, and here's the reality. This is where we're like Judas. Some of you came in this morning, into this church. You had a smile on your face and a coffee in your hand, but the reality is this. There, there's something this week you fell again. Maybe this morning you lost your mind on the way to church. Maybe you did something this week that you know you, you had promised, I'm never gonna do that again. I'm never gonna do that again. And there's guilt and shame. And, and what you do is, well, I'll just be good. I'll be nice. I won't do that. I'll make a promise to myself. I'm never going to do that again. I'll go to church. I'm going to wake up extra early now and, and for a week and a half and do my quiet time. I'm going to sing extra loud this morning. I maybe even sign up and volunteer. I mean, I'll never actually fulfill it, but I'll sign up. It makes myself feel good. 
I'll shake someone's hand and smile. I'll, I'll pray for you. You have this list of things that you, you're going to do a good deed to cancel out the bad deed, like as if it's some Christian karma. Where the, okay, I did a bad deed. I got to do a good deed now to balance it out. That's not how it works. That's what Judas is trying to do. Well, I'll just turn this back in and I'll make it right, right? That's not how it works. How, if that's the way you live your life, okay, I did something bad. I got to do something good now to balance it out. You're gonna, how long do you need to keep self-deprecating yourself? Oh, woe is me. How long do you need to walk around in shame? How long do I need to be good for before I cancel out the bad? That's, that's, all that leads to is a cycle of despair. That's hopelessness. Because you may say, I'll never do that again. What happens in 10 days when you do? When the guilt and shame and remorse are, are not as deep because you've, oh, I've been good for seven days. That's a hopeless way to live, y'all. Right? That's a hopeless way to live. It just leaves a cycle that you'll never get out of because you never be good enough. And because Judas can't, what does he do? He takes his life because there's no hope for his shame. There's no hope for his guilt. He's despair. And let me, I, have, I need to say this. So some have taught based on this text that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Some of you have heard this. Some of you have heard it. If somebody commits suicide, they're instantly, they're instantly uh, in hell. That's, that's the way it is. That is not a Bible statement. Suicide, like every other sin, is sin. It is a breaking of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. But it is not the unpardonable sin. The only unpardonable sin is a rejection of Jesus and and rejecting him as, as the solution to your sin. That's the only unpardonable sin. Are there Christians in despair and depressed that take their own life? Yes. Is it sad? Yes, it's devastating. But it is not some unpardonable uh, 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 sin. There, again, rejection of Jesus is the only unpardonable sin. And that's the reason why Judas is not in heaven is not because he took his own life. The reason why he is not in heaven is because of what he did with his sin and shame. He tried to fix it himself instead of taking it to the one who could have dealt with it. I mean, hypothetically speaking, if he would have, uh, on Sunday morning with the rest of the apostles, if he would have ran up to Jesus, got it on his knees and said, Lord Jesus, I am sorry. I betrayed you for 30 pieces of silver. I lied to you. I was stealing all this time. I was wrong, Lord Jesus. Will you forgive me? What would have Jesus said? Nope, you're the son of perdition. No, he would have said the same thing he said to Peter. He would have restored him, but he didn't. Instead of running to Jesus, he ran to the chief priest. Instead of repenting of sin, he went and tried to fix it. And the ultimate is this. What I want us to grasp is this. There is a difference between remorse and repentance. There's a difference. There's a difference between feeling sorry, I got caught, or sorry, that was bad, and true repentance. Now, is there sorrow and regret in repentance? Probably. But it doesn't stop there. The ultimate of repentance is I, I feel the guilt and shame and then I repent. I say, this was sin. I don't justify it. I don't say, well, it was because of them or because of... And then I go the other direction. I turn 180 degrees. Isn't that what Peter does? What does Peter do? He denies Jesus. And then what does his restoration look like? He declares his love for Jesus. I, I denied it. I knew you. Now I'm telling you, I love you. And he's not, he's not making excuses. Well, you know, it was late. I didn't get a lot of sleep. I was wrong. I love you, Jesus. That's the difference between Judas, who runs to the chief priest instead of running to Jesus, and Peter. And it's an eternal difference, right? So what you, you have to ask is this. What do you do with your sin and shame? Try to fix it? 
Try to be a good Southern Christian. Try to be nice. Maybe I'll say an extra prayer. The only solution is to run to the cross. First, first, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of That's what we do. We run to the Lord Jesus. Uh, this was sin, Lord Jesus. I'm, just, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And he is faithful and just. And here's what you have to understand. In that moment, when you do that, the enemy will still be whispering in your ear. He will. He's whispering in some of y'all's ear right now. Don't listen to Fowler. You are a wretch. I know what you did this week. I know where you've been this week. I know how you treated your employees. I know what, that's what he's in your ear. And what you have to be able to do, this is how you resist the devil so that he flees. You come back to the scripture and say, yes, I am a wretch. Absolutely. But there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, Satan, you're right. But whom the son has set free is free indeed. And when you can go back to the truth of the gospel, the enemy has no ground and he will flee. That's what you have to do when he's attacking because he wants to attack you to get you down to feel your guilt and feel your shame. Jesus doesn't want you living in guilt and shame. He wants you living in freedom. He wants you living in the abundant life, not in, oh, woe is me, I've sinned. Yes, but Christ has paid for your sin. So, so grasp that, cling to that, proclaim it. You can speak it out loud. And then you move forward in freedom. And then that's repentance. And then maybe there is restoration. Then maybe I do have to go pay back the 30 pieces of silver. Maybe I have to do apologize to this person. Maybe I have to do that. But first I go to him. I don't go try to fix it first. I go to him first. And then I go, and if there's anything I need to make these horizontal relationships, I go make it right. But that's what we do with our sin and shame. What Judas teaches us is how not to deal with sin. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to fix it. Run to the one who can. That's the first guy. Second guy, is in, his name means uh, armed with a javelin. And that is the infamous Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, um, governor of Judea, married well, he married Caesar's granddaughter. That's a good way to get a good job, marry Caesar's granddaughter. Uh, and that's, uh, he has gone down in infamy, right? He is found in the creed, the Apostles' Creed, those of you who grew up said he, he, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, right? That's, that's where he lives in infamy. So he's introduced in verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor, that's Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Luke's gospel gives more detail the Jews gave three accusations against Jesus that he was uh, trying to cause a rebellion, in essence, that he was telling people not to pay taxes. And the third thing is he was claiming to be a king, the Christ. The first two accusations were bogus. The third one is actually true. He was. And this is the one that Pilate zooms in on. And it's emphatic in the Greek text. He said, are you, are you the king of the Jews? That's the idea. And Jesus says, yep. You got it, Buster. Basically, you have said so, as you say. Not the kind of king he's thinking. He's thinking political king, political rival. This is a spiritual kingdom. One day when he returns, it'll be a physical kingdom. But right now it is a spiritual kingdom. You have said it right, sir. And the chief priests are accusing him and he's giving no answer. Pilate speaks, he gives one answer. Then they continue to make all these accusations. And Jesus, because Isaiah 53 says he was silent before his accusers, he says nothing. And Pilate's like, he's shocked. He says, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? He gave no answer, not even a single charge. The governor is amazed. And Pilate's got a plan. 
because he knows he's got a problem on his hand, right? And so at the feast, the governor, Pilate, was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner. Every time, once a year, kind of he pardons one prisoner at their feast to kind of appease the crowd. And so what he thinks is this, I will choose the worst of the worst, the one that they would never choose and Jesus, and I'll let them choose. Because they would never choose uh, Ted Bundy. They would never choose the son of Sam, right? They would never release him. And so he tells them about a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Notorious. This guy is infamous in that day. This is not just a guy who, you know, he was shoplifting, you know, lambs so that he could sell them on the black market. This is a man who caused a rebellion, an insurrection, who killed people. Barabbas, the worst of the worst. And, and, and so he goes to them. Who do you want me to release? Jesus, who is the Christ, or Barabbas? Another interesting note about Barabbas, his name, according to extra biblical uh, material, it was actually Jesus Barabbas. So he, this, which is why he describes him as Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Barabbas. Who do you want? Which one do you want? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? Because he knows they're delivering up because they're envious of him. Is that an envy? They're jealous. He knows it. He can see it. And on top of that, his wife, the granddaughter of Caesar, sent word to him while he's on, it's their modern day text message for them, sends message while he's on the judgment seat saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. He is righteous. Why? I suffered much in a dream because of him. God somehow gave her a dream proclaiming that Jesus was innocent. And so he knows they're envious. He actually declares three times in the gospel of Luke, I find nothing wrong with him. I find nothing wrong with him. I find nothing wrong with him. And his wife sends him a text. Don't do it. But all the chief priests and all the scribes are getting all the crowds riled up and they're persuading him him to ask for who? For Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. And the governor said, what do you want? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? And they say, Barabbas. And they're yelling, Barabbas. And he said, well, what should I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. He says, why? What has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so when Pilate saw he's gaining nothing, his, his plan failed. But rather now he's got a riot on his hand because they're going crazy. Give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, Barabbas. And they're just yelling and yelling and it's chaos. He takes water and washes his hands before the crowd, which is not even a Roman uh, thing. It's a Jewish thing saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. He uses the same phrase that the high priest said to Judas when he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. See to that yourself. He says, see to it yourself. And they said, okay, we'll take it. His blood be on us and our children. We'll take it. We'll take the heat. Which is interesting if you go a few, few days later in the book of Acts chapter five when the apostles are preaching in the temple. They've been jailed, an angel lets them out and they go back to the temple and they're preaching and the high priest are like, we told you not to preach this guy's name and you're trying to bring his blood on us. And it's exactly because you wanted it. That's exactly what you asked for, right? Because you are guilty. But here's Pilate. Here's what I want you to see about Pilate. He knows what is right, right? He's had, his wife has had a dream. He has declared it three times. He is innocent. He knows that their motive is false and yet he still signs off on the death of an innocent man. Why? Because he's weak sauce. Because he's a people pleaser. And what Pilate teaches us and how we need to fight is how not to succumb to peer pressure. 
What, is, what does it look like to, to follow the crowd? Because every single one of us, every day, has to make a choice between Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ. The name Barabbas means son of the father. The idea, it's, it's a wordplay. Are you gonna choose the son of the father or are you gonna choose the true son of the father? We gotta make that choice every day in big things and in little things. See, here, here's, what's, here's what's sad, that there may be someone here today that, that because they know the truth, just like Pilate, they know who Jesus is, they've heard about it their whole life, they've, they've heard it at school, they've heard it at church, they, they just know the truth, but they are, because of the fear of man, they won't become a follower of Jesus because what people may think. That's tragic, but that's Pilate, right? That's Pilate. He will not do what is right because he's scared. There might be a riot. I might lose my job. Caesar might get mad. Great grandpa might get mad at me. And we gotta make the choice, y'all. Are we gonna kneel to Barabbas or are we gonna kneel to Jesus who is the Christ? And how often do we choose the path of least resistance? How often do we choose what was popular rather than what is true? Right? The narrow path, the path less traveled, the path that may lead you to stand alone. No one likes being alone. But yet that's the path of Jesus the Christ sometimes or Jesus Barabbas. And look, peer pressure's tough. I get it. High schoolers, middle schoolers, college students. I understand. All of us were in high school at one point. We get it. And there's, a, there's just that pull to act a certain way. You gotta talk a certain way using maybe words that your, your grandmother would blush with. Doing things that you know are wrong so that what? You would be liked and accepted. Dressing in a certain way. And even more probably now, I, more now than even when we were there because now that being liked is actually a thing. Liked, like, like, love. It's even more so we wanna be liked and liked and liked. But I, I can tell you, it is an empty, empty path. If, if it takes doing something and being something to be liked, then, then it's, how fickle is that, that, that to, do, to not do that? You'd be unliked. It's just an empty path and just leads to regret. And you can ask a lot of 40 and 50 and 60-year-olds about their regrets because they wanted to be liked and cool. Because here's the reality. No one cares now, 10 years out, 15 years out, how cool you were in high school. No one cares what frat you were in or what sorority. I was the president of this and I was this and I was the chair of this. The only people who care are the 60-year-olds that are acting like 12-year-olds every homecoming. There's the only people, yeah, remember we were sig and tridels and yeah, yeah, yeah. No one cares. No one cares. So, like one of you care and you're offended now, but I don't care. The coolest guy in my high school, in my opinion, was not, not me, I was not, was named, his name was Dan Cregan, and I hope he never listens to any of these sermons ever, ever. <laughs> but, so Dan Cregan, this guy was the essence of cool in 1991, 92, I'm telling you. He rode a motorcycle to church, to school. No one rode a motorcycle to school except for Fonzie. That, he was like the man. So he had a motorcycle, he was good looking. He was a three sport athlete. He had the vanilla ice haircut and he could dance. And we used to call him ice. He was, he, he was what you wanted to be, all right? And so uh, that was cool. So, you know, it's been 20 
something, eight years, I don't even know. I graduated in 92, so it was that 20, 31 years. It's like two years ago, he Facebook friended me. I was like, oh my goodness, there's ice. We used to call him ice. And I saw ice and ice ain't ice no more. <laughs> now, he, he looks like a normal, my age, 48-year-old dude with kids. That's what he looks like. Bald as a bat, no more, no more cool hair. I don't know if he rides a motorcycle anymore, I don't know. Cool thing is, he became a Christian like me in college, and now he works at a church like me. Kind of cool. Um, I haven't talked to him. I just see ice ain't ice no more. Because no one cares how cool you were in high school. Really. It's fickle. Right? It's fleeting. You know what's not fleeting? Faithfulness. Subtle godliness. That's not fleeting. And you say, well, nobody's going to know that. Yeah, there is. There's one that knows. Right? If you really want to be a rebel, high schoolers and college students, follow Jesus because none of your generation is. That's the most rebellious thing you can do is to be a follower of Jesus. And I know, you know, you're like, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, talk to my kids. Yeah, talk to my kids. Listen to Pastor Bill today. But this is not just a a kid thing, is it? It may look different for us 50-year-olds, but it's the same. Wanting to be liked. So some of us go down to the parade and act like we're 12 years old again, trying to be cool. Or maybe it's so more subtle. It's just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I'm so, so enslaved to debt because I got to have this because everyone in my office has this. Or maybe the boss says to do this that's a little bit shady. And you're like, well, I don't want to rock the boat. Everyone else is doing that. Or we're going on this, this business trip and everyone's going to this place that I know is not good for me or my marriage. But, you know, I don't want to, I got to be a team player, right? Or maybe we're living through our children, like we got cut from the varsity team, so I'm gonna push my kids so hard that it just they they so that they can succeed, so that I look good. I gotta make sure they get into fill in the blank school so that I look good. It's the same thing that Pilate's doing. It's just more subtle. There's churches, y'all, all across America that will not proclaim the Bible. Why? Because of what people may think. Oh well. We're not supposed to be liked. Doesn't mean we're jerks. Doesn't mean we're obnoxious. But we proclaim Christ, him crucified. We proclaim his word and we let the chips fall. And if someone is offended and doesn't like it, well, they didn't like him. That's why they killed him. And we're not called to be liked. We're called to be loving. There's a difference. And if they don't like our loving, right, that's, that's on them. But we're gonna be faithful to what God has said. But you gotta make a choice. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? And it's little choices and it's big choices. And sometimes you're gonna stand alone. Guess who was alone? Jesus. And you will never be alone because he said, I will promise I will never leave you or forsake you. And I've given you my spirit. And here, remember, his spirit is what empowers Peter. Peter denies Jesus to a little girl. 40 days later, he's standing in the temple after being thrown in jail for preaching Christ. The angel says, go preach Christ. And Peter's like, okay. And he's in there again. And this time he says, we must obey God rather than man. What's the difference? The spirit of God. Guess who has the spirit of God? Every one of you, if you are a Christian. So you have what you need to stand alone. But you just have to say, Jesus, you're worth it. You're still alone for me. Help me to stand alone for you if necessary. Because the irony is this, it only matters what he thinks. Pilate thinks he's in charge. In fact, John 19, he says, don't you know I have authority to send you to live or die? And Jesus says, you have no authority except what was given to you by my father. Right? Because he is the judge. One day he will stand on the judgment seat, sit on the judgment seat, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Pontius Pilate, Judas, you and me. All of us before him. 
So it only matters in the end what we do with Jesus, who is called the Christ, right? So here's Barabbas, here's Jesus. Which do you choose? And speaking of Barabbas, let's talk about him real quick. Means, his name means son of the father, right? Son of the father. Bar Abba, son of father, right? So what happens to Barabbas? Barabbas was released. He released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. They make a trade. Barabbas goes free. Jesus is scourged. And that's this idea of, of, and we see if you saw the passion of the Christ where he was whipped with this thing called a flagellum. It had leather and it had bone or metal on the end. It would shred his back in essence. It's what they always did to you before you were crucified. Many times it killed the victim before they even were able to be crucified because it was so brutal. It would tear the sides open rip the skin, expose the organs. This is why the, the prophet says, by his stripes, you and I are healed. So they did that to Jesus and then they took Jesus to the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They're mocking him. The irony is they put crown of thorns on his head. Thorns are a symbol of the curse. He is wearing on his brow that which he is about to remove, the curse of sin. They put it on his head and a reed in his hand and not mocking him and kneeling before him. They said, hail, king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews, beating him and spitting on him. He took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. And who gets to go free? Barabbas. Barabbas, the notorious criminal. And I want you to put yourself in, try to put yourself in Barabbas's shoes. He's guilty. He's going to die. That, that cross, that third cross on Mount Calvary is his cross. You understand it. Those two on his side were probably his partners in crime. He was going to the cross. And, and historians tell us that he was probably in prison close to the praetorium, which where Pilate was. In a, in a stone's throw away. The jail was gonna be all right there. The Antonia Fortress is right around the corner. The, the, the old Jerusalem is not a big area. And, and you can imagine, he's sitting in his cell. He's sitting in his cell. And what does he hear being yelled? His name. What is the crowd yelling? Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. He can hear it from his cell. That's a shocker. And then what's the next thing he hears? Because he can't hear one voice. He can't hear Pilate saying, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? All he hears is, Barabbas, Barabbas, the crowd yelling. And then what does Pilate ask? What should I do with Jesus? And then what does the crowd yell? Crucify, crucify, crucify. All he hears from his little cell a couple hundred yards away is, Barabbas, Barabbas, crucify, crucify, Barabbas, Barabbas, crucify. That's what he hears as he's sitting in that cell. That's encouraging. And then all of a sudden he hears keys and he hears, sees a torch coming down and the cell door opens and he's resisting, no, no, no. And they grab him and they drag him out and they're taking him down. He's, he's resisting, no, no. And they come out of the corridor into the light and the soldiers who despise him because he killed some of their soldiers. He says, Barabbas, stop whining. You are the luckiest man alive. You see that cross, that middle cross? That was your cross. You see that man on that cross? That was supposed to be you. And he took your place. You are free. Get out of here. 
And what I want us to see this morning, we may be like Judas sometimes, and we may act like Pilate sometimes, but we are Barabbas. And that is the point. You were the guilty, guilty criminal. You were the one who deserved punishment. And what does God do in Christ? He sets you free and he pours out his wrath on his son. So when you see Barabbas, I know we're like, oh, bad guy. No, no, see yourself. Because that's the point. That's the whole point of the text. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. And what does Barabbas get to do? He gets to be free. Now, what he does with that freedom, that's on him. We don't know what happened to Barabbas after this. If I were him, I'm running for the med. I'm out. But here's where you are today. You are Barabbas. Jesus took your place. What are you going to do with that? That's on you. What I would suggest is you take your guilt and your shame and you take it to him, the one who took it. And then what I suggest is when you have the choice, am I going to follow Barabbas or am I going to follow Jesus? I'm going to choose the one who gave his life for me because he is good and he promises forgiveness and grace and peace, even in the middle of no peace. You got to ask yourself, what do I do as Barabbas? You just got to, you got to see that. It's not so we feel bad about ourselves, y'all. It's not so you feel bad. It's so that you could say, I'm free. (laughs) Think about that. Think about how Barabbas felt. He thought he was going to die. His now whole life is in front of him. And for you, you were supposed to die. And now your whole life, the internal life is in front of you. What are you gonna do with it? What are you gonna do with it? You gonna go back and cause another insurrection? That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? If Barabbas went back, all right, I'm gonna go do it again. That was great. Let's go back to jail. Or are you gonna say, now I am gonna utilize my freedom for the one who took my place? See, that's what the Christian life is. I'm utilizing my freedom, no guilt, no shame, and I'm living my life for the one who freed me so that I can be with him forever, because I will be. And this is just a little piece of that. So we take our guilt and shame to him, and we live our life for pleasing him, the one who enlisted me as a soldier. And I know that I'm Barabbas, but I've been set free because of Christ. Let's think about that as we sing, as we respond today. If you came and you feel guilty and and shameful, take it to Jesus. He removes guilt. He removes shame. That's what he does. Don't leave here thinking, oh, I got to go be nice now. No, we got to be nice because we should be nice, not because you're going to remove your shame, right? He removes guilt. Don't leave guilty. Don't leave in shame. Leave free because whom the son has set free is free indeed. Why don't you stand with me? I'll pray and we'll sing. Thank you, Father, for freedom in Jesus, our Savior. There is no condemnation for those who are in you. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that they would find their hope in you and what you have done and your finished work and that we would be strong and we would choose you because you chose us, that we would follow you because you went to the cross alone for us and that we'd be willing, even if necessary, to stand alone but we will never be alone because you promised us and you've left us your spirit. And so we're thankful for that. Maybe we just need to be reminded of that this morning, of your love for us, of your goodness towards us. And so I pray that someone here that feels unloved and unworthy would know that they are unworthy, but they are not unloved. They are loved by you. It's in Christ's name we pray.